Well, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, uh, you know that two weeks ago, we answered the question that all humanity is looking for, what is the meaning of life? I hope you remember what it was. We have been created, and the meaning of life is to be in relationship with God and in relationship with others. And if you missed that message, I encourage you to go online and listen to it at our website. Then last week, we talked about, does God really exist? Which would be kind of the next question on the meaning of life, does God really exist? And we looked at some of the, the evidence that's out there. As we shared last week, you know, you can't prove beyond a shadow of a doubt with 100% certainty that God exists any more than you can prove beyond a shadow of a doubt with 100% certainty that he doesn't exist. We look at the evidence, the overwhelming evidence, the overwhelming evidence that's out there in the world. In particular, we looked at the universe and all of creation, which does nothing but support the Scripture, as if the Scripture needs supporting and this morning you may be here expecting me to continue on, is the God that we, does exist the God of the Bible? Well, we're, we put that on hold for a week. I didn't want us to get ahead of the academy classes, and because we did not have youth group and academy classes Wednesday night, I'm going to wait till next week to continue on with that. This morning I want to share a message that's entitled, Called to Thankfulness. Called to Thankfulness. And I'm sure, in the back of my mind at least, the fact that it was Thanksgiving was kind of a driving force for looking at this. But I I, I hope it challenges us in a different way than maybe we typically think of just giving thanks. How would you answer this question? How do you describe the Christian life? How do you describe the life that we live as Christians? If you're a Christian, you've already discovered it's not one without any problems, any issues, just nothing but joy, peace, and happiness in the natural. How would you describe it? Well, the Scripture gives us a number of different ways that we could describe it. For example, we could simply say it is a race. In Philippians 3.13, it says, Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Life, the Christian life, is a race. Paul uses that kind of picture a lot in Scripture to finish, to to run the race, to give it all you've got. Or we could say something like this. Life is spiritual warfare. Now, sadly, a lot of Christians in a lot of circles don't understand that one at all. It's interesting that in Ephesians chapter 6, he tells us that the enemy we're facing isn't flesh and blood. It's spirit. And he refers to rulers, powers. He refers to world forces of darkness, and then he also refers to spirits of wickedness, spiritual warfare. Whether we realize it or not, as Christians, we are in spiritual warfare. We are constantly being attacked by the enemy. Even if we're Christians, he wants to destroy our witness. He wants to destroy our testimony. He wants to make our life, as long as it might be here on this earth, as miserable as he can possibly make it. We have an enemy. It could be a race. It could be called spiritual warfare. 
We could actually call it a Christian life as a crucifixion and a resurrection. The Bible tells us clearly that we died with Christ. We died to sin. We died to death. And we are raised. We are born again. A, a, a miraculous new birth takes place when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And the Holy Spirit lives in us, dwells in us. We have been raised to this new life of eternal life in the presence of God. So we could describe it that way. We could call it a life of discipleship. Even in the Great Commission in Matthew, it tells us clearly, go and make disciples. It's a life where we're continually growing in our faith, growing in our understanding of the Word of God as He reveals Himself to us, growing in our relationship with Him and with those around us. A life of discipleship. And lastly, that I'll throw out there, it could be called a life of stewardship. As Christians, I think we understand, at least we give it lip service, that everything belongs to God. Everything. And we are called to steward everything that he blesses us with. The gifts that you have, the talents that you have, the family that he's allowed you to be a part of. All of these things we're to steward. All the blessings that he bestows upon us, our finances, our homes, whatever it is, we're to steward that. The calls that we have in our lives, we're to steward it. The gospel message itself, we are to steward that and share that with the world around us. So when you look at those things, and I just listed about five there, it's a race, a spiritual warfare, a crucifixion and resurrection, a discipleship and a stewardship. And any and all of them are correct. They're true. But this morning I want to share what I think might supersede all of them. I want to give you the picture that a Christian life is to be a life of thanksgiving and praise to God. I think all of those other things require that in a Christian, to live a life of praise and thanksgiving. The Psalms, if you read the Psalms, the Psalms are filled with commands to Shout to the Lord, praise the Lord, give thanks in all things, continuously giving thanks, praising, shouting, clapping, dancing before him, giving praise and thanksgiving to God. Paul in the New Testament gives a similar instruction in 1 Thessalonians five, eighteen. It tells us to give thanks in all circumstances. All circumstances. It's God's will. Let us come before him. In Ephesians five nineteen, it says, Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, even as Paul's giving these commands to us to give thanks, it's only possible through the Lord Jesus Christ. Only Christians, only Christians who have been born again by the Spirit of God, who have confessed their sin, accepted Jesus Christ as a sacrifice in their place, believe that he was raised from the dead, only Christians can give thanks and praise to God that means anything to him. If it comes from a non-believer, it's really nothing more than lip service. It comes from his children. That's who he's speaking to throughout Scripture. We are called to thankfulness. If you think about it, is there anybody in here who when you do something for somebody, you don't want to be thanked? I mean, we say, no, that's okay, that's okay, okay. But inside we're going, thank you, thank you, thank you. You do something for someone. As a matter of fact, you do something for someone. You go out of your way for someone. You, you do something significant for them, and they just 
walk away. How does it make you feel? I know you're all Christians, so it makes you feel just fine. But the reality is there's something inside of us that goes, really? Really, I did all that? I, I gave him my time. I gave him my money. I gave him my best coat. And they don't even say thank you. If we're not careful, we can let the thoughts go to, you know, almost bitterness. We can get upset and indignant that, gee, they didn't thank me. Now, none of that's good, but I think that, that, that desire to be thanked is something that's innate in every one of us. I read a phrase this week that said this, could it be that desire that we have for thanks could be an echo from the heart of God? An echo from the heart of God. He too wants to be thanked. Does he need our thanks? No. Does he need our thanks to feel good? No, he does not. But he wants our thanks because he knows, like everything else that he tells us we should do in the scripture, that it's a blessing for us when we do it. He knows that a grateful, thankful heart changes our attitude on life. A thankful, grateful heart keeps it in a place of humility and need for God. She knows these things, but he desires to be thanked. There's no doubt about it. In Psalms 95, verse 1, it says, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout loud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and is stolen with music and song. Sometimes people say, don't you guys sing a little too long? I go, no, most people think we sing a little too short. We're commanded to sing and praise, and when we are doing it out of our heart, overflowing with thanksgiving and praise, it does something to you. If you're just singing with your lips and out of your head, yeah, you might get bored. If you're a non-believer, you don't understand what in the world are these people so emotional about? How can we not be emotional about this? We are singing to the creator of the universe. We're singing to the God who sacrificed his son, sent him to earth, and he died on a cross and experienced the wrath of God and was buried for us. How can we not be thankful? How can we not be filled with gratitude? In Psalms 100, verse 4, thanks, enter his gates with thanksgiving. It's the picture of the temple. Enter his gates. Don't even, don't even enter the gates unless you're filled with thanksgiving. Enter the gates with thanksgiving. Come into the courts with praise. He desires us to be filled with thanksgiving. Desires us to praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Motivation to be thankful. There's a story in Luke chapter 17 about 10 lepers. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's kind of between Samaria and Galilee. And these 10 lepers are standing afar off from him because they can't come close because they're lepers. They're isolated. They're separated. And these 10 lepers are crying out to Jesus for healing. Jesus stops on the road, on the way, and he tells them to go and present themselves to the priests. We may not understand that, but that was part of the process. If you were clean, you had to go to the priest and you had to go through this ceremonial stuff and the priest would then declare you clean. And then you could come back into the world and you could actually be around people and your family and your loved ones. Until that happened, you were isolated. And it says that as the 10 left, and then in verse 15, it says one of them. I like to picture things in my mind. 
Can you imagine these ten lepers walking to the priest, knowing they've got leprosy, their flesh is rotting, falling from their bodies, and all of a sudden they realize it's gone. It's clean. What would you do? Well, it says one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. Would you be praising God in a loud voice? Can't you almost picture this guy screaming, I'm healed? Praise you, Lord, whoever you are. Because he probably didn't know. And as he came back praising God in a loud voice, he threw himself at the feet of Jesus. He thanked him. And then it says, and he was a Samaritan. The emphasis, I think, there is on he was a Samaritan because it shows us that the other nine were probably Jews. Probably God's chosen people. And not one of those came back. But here's the Samaritan who, who was a dog in the eyes of the Jews. And he's the one who comes back, loudly praising God and falling at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus asked him, were not there ten of you and weren't you all cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise or thanks to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Jesus is wondering, where, where are the rest? Where are the ones that should, especially, have come back to give thanks? I believe he desires us to be thankful. And like everything else, most of us need to be motivated to do anything. So what motivates us to be thankful? Psalm 103 Verse 2, praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And then it lists just a few. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desire with all good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Remember his benefits. We have many things to be thankful for. We went through Thanksgiving. Some families have traditions. Others don't of doing this. But many times families will say, what are you thankful for? And we've got so many things to be thankful for. We could be thankful for our families. We could be thankful for our jobs. We could be thankful for the, the freedom that we have in this nation. <clears throat> we can be thankful for the provision that he provides for us every day. We can be thankful for the opportunities we have in this country. We can be thankful for education that we have. We can be thankful for the medical marvels that we have in this nation. We can be thankful for many, many, many other personal things that you're thankful in your life. And we can share all of them, and we should. But I think the thing that we should be most thankful for as Christians is our salvation through Jesus Christ. Does it come across our mind? to thank him for saving us, for rescuing us, for redeeming us from the pit, from removing us from the power of sin and the power of death, from taking all of that away so that we can live an abundant life in Christ, the life he died for. Our salvation. How would you describe how you feel about your salvation? What words would be adequate? You know, the Apostle Paul was brilliant. 
educated. He had wisdom, understanding. He was always eloquent in his speech whenever he was confronted. And yet when it came to describing salvation, in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 15, he says, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. No matter what words we would put to it, they aren't sufficient. We can't possibly, with the few words we have in our English language, express how thankful we should be for our salvation. I think we get so, as Christians, sometimes we just take it for granted. We sometimes need to be reminded where we were headed and what awaited us. You know, we might think that, especially some of us here who we know our past, we'd say, boy, he rescued us from that. That was nothing compared to where we were headed. We were headed to be in eternal damnation, in the torment, the wrath of God for eternity in hell. That's where we were headed. Oh, if we could get a real clear picture of what that looks like, what that would be like, we'd probably be way more thankful. Our thankfulness would look different. How do we express thankfulness? If by faith we know Jesus Christ is our personal Lord and Savior, I listed just a few benefits that we could have on this slide. We have forgiveness of sins through the blood of Jesus. Every sin you ever committed, and you may not understand this, everyone, but every sin you will ever commit in the future has been paid for by the blood of Jesus. That's pretty amazing. Some of us think, boy, he could never forgive me for. Forget that thought. It's under the blood of Jesus if we confess it, if we have accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior. We are reconciled to God. We can approach him directly. You know, there was this barrier between man and God. He couldn't look on sin. When you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, your sin is dealt with, and you are given the cloak of righteousness of Christ, the Bible says. So when God the Father looks at me, he doesn't see Mike with all the mess. That's still there. He sees the righteousness of Jesus. And that allows us to directly communicate with the Father. Direct access. We don't have to go and offer sacrifices anywhere. We don't have to go to any high priests. We don't have to do any of those things that we saw in the Old Testament. We go directly to the Father because of Jesus. He is the only mediator between God and man. The Bible tells us clearly there is only one mediator between God and man. It is Jesus Christ, his son. That's it. But it's available to all of us. Amazing. We are joint heirs with Christ. We've talked about that here quite often, but just to remind us what that means is as a joint heir, that means the inheritance isn't split between me and Jesus. Whatever's his is ours, and ours is his. We are joint heirs with Christ, seated with him in heavenly places. That's pretty cool. And as joint heirs, we are now children of God. If you come here regularly, you know that's my favorite mantra. We are children of God because of our salvation, the benefits that we have. He is our Father. He's always with us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. He will provide for all of our needs according to his promises. He will protect us and he will guide us. What a deal we got out of him dying on a cross for us. 
last but certainly not least, and my little list is we're going to experience eternity with him. No matter what life on this earth looks like, you live 70, 80, 90, 100, 110 years, it is nothing in terms of eternity. What we are suffering or enduring on earth here for Christ is nothing compared to what we're going to experience with him. That's a pretty good deal. The best life ever on earth is nothing compared to heaven. Nothing. And it's ours. So what could you and I do to demonstrate how thankful we are for all of that and whatever else you want to add to the list? What could you do? How could we demonstrate our thankfulness? Well, words is one way, right? In Hebrews 13, it says, Through Jesus... Again, there he is. Therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise and the fruit of our lips that confess his name. And do not forget to do good or share with others for what sacrifices, with such sacrifices, God is pleased. With the fruit of our lips, giving thanks. With our fruit of our lips, giving praise. But then it goes on and doing what is good, serving others. You know, one thing about words, have you ever noticed words are sometimes really cheap? You ever been thanked and you knew they didn't mean thank you at all? They just said the words? Hopefully we don't ever do that, right? Words can be really cheap. And I, this, this isn't my line, but I like it, but it's kind of a slap in my face. Words are notoriously cheap, and gratitude that stops with just a thank you to God are cheap and insincere. I don't think all words are cheap and sincere. But I think there should be way more than that in a Christian's life to demonstrate how thankful we are. So I'm going to give you five quick characteristics of what true thankfulness might look like. And they're probably a good barometer of how thankful we are. So, if you don't want to get your feet stepped on, better get them off the floor because they sure step all over mine. Number one, obedience. If a Christian is thankful, we should be obedient. Real, real thankfulness will transform our life. It will change our life. How thankful are we? How thankful are we living in our culture? I don't know if it was one of you who put it on Facebook, but I've shared this with a few people. I saw this post on Facebook. I just loved it. It said, America, where we spend Thursday giving thanks for all that God has blessed us with. America, where on Friday we go buy a whole much more junk we don't need. Amen. Those two days should be separated by at least one more day. It would make me feel better anyway. But real thankfulness transforms a life. Obedience. Probably the clearest evidence of being thankful. Remember, God's ultimate goal for us as Christians is to see us transformed more and more and into the image of Christ as we walk out our life here on earth, right? The Bible's clear. We are being transformed into the image of Christ as we respond to the Holy Spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit's trying to do in us, transform us, make us more like Christ. If you were going to use one word to describe Christ, I'm guessing it wouldn't be the one I'm going to put there. We could say what? He's pure. He's holy. He's righteous. He 
is filled with justice. All those things are absolutely true, but the word I want to use here is he's obedient. He was obedient when he walked on earth. In John 4, 34, Jesus said, My food and my sustenance, the most important thing, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. The most important thing, my food, my sustenance, what, what, what I live on is to do obedience to the Father. Obedient to the law, obedient to the cross, fulfilling the will of God. That's Christ. In John eight twenty eight, he said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, in other words, when you have crucified Jesus, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who has sent me is with me. He has not left me, for I always do what pleases him. I am obedient in all things to the Father. If we are being transformed into the image of Christ, we should be living lives of obedience and greater and greater obedience as we discover who Christ is, who God is, walking it out. When you think of that list and however many things you added to that list of things we could be thankful for, it would seem like the obvious and only obvious response would be to surrender our lives and live for his glory. If we really believe all his benefits. Obedience. Number two, service. Again, Jesus is our example. Jesus said in Matthew twenty twenty eight, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Service. Out of thanksgiving, we serve. We serve him and we serve others. But depending upon our giftings and our callings, We might serve in many, many different ways, but nonetheless, service should be a simple part of our attitude of thanksgiving. And part of that serving is always being ready to share the good news of the gospel. There's no greater service you or I can do for anybody than to share the good news of the gospel. To share that Jesus came for sinners, died on the cross, paid the price for our sins was crucified, died, and buried, and rose again, that we might have life. Man, that should be something that you can just spew out at a moment's notice, the gospel message. Because we're so thankful what he did for us. How could we not want to share that with everyone else to bring God the glory and the honor? The third area, obedience, service, is giving. Generosity. This is not my quote. It's a good one. Whatever you, wherever you find a thankful heart, you are sure to find generous hands. If we are filled with thanksgiving for all that he has done for us, how can we not be generous in response? You know, we can get real legalistic about giving, and especially in the area of money and tithing and all that stuff. All principles of the word of God all things that we should be doing, but not out of legalism, not out of bondage, but out of a grateful heart. The Bible says to be a cheerful giver out of our hearts filled with thanksgiving. The abundance of all that we have should flow. The giving. In Psalms 96, verse 8, it says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Does he need your offering? No. 
Matter of fact, he even talks about the offerings that they were bringing didn't mean anything to him. It's an attitude of heart. He'd come into my courts with thanksgiving and praise. How comfortable, how comfortable would you or I be if God looked at us and determined how thankful we are by our generosity, what we give? That might make me uncomfortable sometimes. And the reality is, I think he does. He's not looking at that to beat us up or to pound us or anything like that. He wants us to be generous because he knows that kind of generosity brings blessing into your life. He knows his principles. He knows that you just can't outgive God. And if he wants us to give, he's going to bless us so that we can give more. I mean, think about the area of finances and just think about tithing for a second. Can you imagine with all the benefits I listed and all that you could add to that short list of mine, if he says, and I'm going to give you all of this money that you need to live, and all of that money that I give you to live is yours, but you just need to give 10% back to me, to just to show me that you trust me, that you trust me, that you're thankful. How many of us would grab that deal in a heartbeat? I promise to provide all your needs. Whatever I give to you, it's still all mine. You can use it all. I just want you to give that 10% back. I think it's a deal that we'd take quickly. Generosity throughout Scripture. Remember in John chapter 12 when Jesus was with Mary and Martha and and, uh, Lazarus and Bethany, and Mary came and she took this really, really, really expensive perfume. It tells us that it's about a year's wages for that perfume, and she anointed Jesus with it. And good old Judas thought, what a waste of money that is. Jesus didn't stop her. Her generosity. Paul in the book of Acts commends the Macedonians, a Greek Macedonian, a a Gentile church, if you would, who gave, it says, beyond what was expected, beyond their means. They gave beyond what they could possibly do. They just gave to the Jewish church in Jerusalem. 2,000 years later, that story is still being told, honoring the generosity of those people. Rich and poor alike are to give generously. Number four, contentment. If you still believe the lie that things and circumstances will make you content, I'm here to ruin and burst that bubble. If things and circumstances made us content, the rich and the famous would be the most content people on the planet. I don't know exactly what the per capita suicide rate and drug abuse is, but it's pretty high. It does not make us content. Paul says it so clearly in a couple of different scriptures. In Philippians 4, 11, he says, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I've learned to be content. What am I content in? My relationship with the Lord. I am content. Hebrews 13, the writer of Hebrews said, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Our contentment. 
does not come from things and circumstances. Our contentment comes out of a thankful heart. A thankful heart. The grace of being thankful will change your life. And the last one I want to mention is a desire for a deeper fellowship with God. If we truly are thankful for all that he's done, how could we not want a deeper relationship with this God who created us, who saved us through his offering of his son, who blesses us with every blessing? If we believe the scripture, everything that we have belongs to him. Every good thing comes from God. We should want to know him. We should want to know all that we can about him. We should want as great an intimacy with him as we can. It should be a relationship that we would put above all other relationships. It should be a relationship we put more effort into than any other relationship. You know why? Because every other relationship will be better. Every one of these things that I talked about that are demonstrations of our thankfulness or our gratitude really ultimately bring us great blessing. That's how God's kingdom works. Those things, I think, are a demonstration of the kind of thankfulness God would like to see in all his children because it blesses us. Psalms 103, verse 2 that I read earlier said, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Sometimes we need to be reminded of all the benefits that we have through Christ. His goodness, his mercy, his grace, his love, his faithfulness, his compassion. And you could go on and on and on and on, all made possible through Christ. If we're truly thankful, how can we not respond to that kind of gift? Is our, obedient, is our thankfulness actually demonstrated through our obedience, through our serving, through our giving, through our contentment, and a desire to know him better? Thanksgiving's a good time to reevaluate, but I think it's one of those things we should reevaluate every day. Give thanks every day. What can you give thanks for? And there are so many things. But the greatest of all those things is our salvation through Christ that opens the door to all the blessings. It's so amazing to me that every promise in the New Testament is mine as a child of God. Isn't that amazing? When he promises to do this, that, and the other thing, it, it's, he means it. Are we thankful? Let's close in prayer. Lord, I pray that as you search our hearts, Holy Spirit, show us those areas where we are not thankful. Show us those areas in our life where we are being disobedient. Show us those areas of our life where we've missed opportunities to serve that we might step in and serve. Show us those areas of our life where we're, we're selfish and not great, grateful and not, not giving, not willing to share. Show us those areas of our life where we aren't content. And Lord, draw us to yourself that we might know you better. Lord, I pray that as, as you reveal these things to us, you give us the grace to respond. God, that we would be blessing your heart as our Heavenly Father 
and we would be reopening ourselves up to all the blessings that you have for us. How great is our salvation, the indescribable gift that's given to all. Amen.